0: My name is Taylor, if we haven't met, and uh, one of the uh, people on our uh, teaching team, which make up a group of pastors and just lay leaders um, who really just want to share the good news um, that... uh God loves us, and uh, everybody gets to offer uh, their perspective and their experience on that, um, especially throughout the year uh, in both of our locations in Cedar Rapids and Tiffin. So anyways, uh, we're in the series. We're wrapping up the series today uh, called Holy Spirit. Um, we meant it to be four weeks, but then weather kind of made it challenging, so it's actually only three weeks, and so I'm going to try to like cover a lot of territory in one one session together. And so if at the end of this, you're like, I have follow-up questions, that is great. We want to talk to you. We want to help. You can email, talk to us after service. Uh, we're here for you. Now, Talking about smells for a second. Um, So we have a lot of interesting smells. I wanted to share a story of a smell issue that we have had a number of times in our household. Uh, It has nothing to do, though, with any of our kids or the animals in our household. It has to do uh, with one of uh, the most beautiful things in the world, and that is uh, cooking bacon, uh, both eating it and preparing it. Anyways, and so uh, one of the things that we have had an issue with in our house is uh, what happens when we cook the bacon, what it does to the entirety of the house. And we don't have a very large house. And so um, if one room smells all rooms smell. And so in our particular case, what happens, especially if you don't cook the bacon fast enough and you, you know, kind of spread it out over time, which can happen when you have three kids distracting you and demanding your attention, is the grease starts to burn. And then as the grease burns, it creates smoke. And even if you turn the vent on, uh, the house will progressively begin to get a haze in it. And it will begin to smell like smoke. And then we have those really fancy smoke detectors that talk to you about things. Like, I think they're in the nest smoke detectors. And then, like, eventually a lady will chime in from our hallway. Hey, there's smoke in the hallway. No, she doesn't do it like that. It's like, smoke detected in the hallway. It's like so (laughs) calm. Like, the house is on fire. Get out. Um, Anyways, and so uh, then you have to go up and, you know, shoo her off, stop it, um, and then the problem is for the next, you know, four hours plus until like the HVAC system has time to flush it out, it smells and looks like a smoky disaster. Um, Even though you tried to create something that was really good, something uh, amazing, which is what I call bacon. Um, Now, some of you may disagree if bacon is amazing, but for me, it's a very delicious delicious food. Uh, But unfortunately, it comes with a cost in our in our household Now, this is a bit of a hard turn, but as I was thinking about this, I think that is an analogy that is very appropriate for most of our lives. Okay, Most of us, I think in this room, especially if you're taking time out of your day to watch online or in-person church or listen to this message later on in the week, and you take time to invest in your faith or try to figure out faith, I think for, for those of you, something I can assume about you is you try to do the right thing. You know, if you think about the past week, maybe you got to think about two, but honestly, I know for me, I don't have to think that far back. You intend to do right by people. You intend to do good things. You intend to do it correctly. You tend to make a delicious meal or delicious food, but the result can sometimes be a lot messier. You know, you said something that you shouldn't have said, and the relationship got a little messy. Right? The, there was a bit of smoke in the room. It didn't smell very appealing. You weren't patient when you should have been patient. You spoke when you should have listened. Um, you, you opened your mouth and it probably should have stayed closed. You thought things that you shouldn't have thought. You felt things inside about other people that maybe you shouldn't have probably Felt. You clicked on things that you probably shouldn't have clicked on. You behaved in ways that hurt other people or broke a relationship. Or you thought things about yourself that devalued you and hurt you and made yourself question yourself. You felt somewhat, at some point in the last week or two, I'm guessing some degree of guilt or regret for how you behaved or what you said. And there was a smoky haze that kind of hung over your relationships or kind of filled your heart and your life, at least for a few hours, if not longer. And the thing about smoke is wherever there's smoke, there's some form of a what? Thank you. Okay, the people in the back, fire. Okay, thank you. Yeah, there's some form of fire. There's some sort of problem that needs to be addressed or something that went ideally wrong or more than likely wrong. Or if we're talking about Christianity, we're talking about our faith, let's just be really honest that we don't like to talk about it a lot, and it kind of makes us uncomfortable, but let's talk about sin for a second. You know, sin, often in Christian circles, is something that, you know, is kind of used to guilt and shame people, but I just identify it as when we fall short of the love of God, when we should have loved someone or loved ourselves or loved God in, in a way that was contrary to how we actually behaved, Like personally for me, if I think about the last two weeks, I I think it was in the last two weeks, um, and this is really hard to admit, but like uh, we're doing bedtime and uh, some of our girls are much better than others at at going to sleep. And the hard part about bedtime is you are also tired, right? Some of you know that you are not at your best after eight o'clock at night. And I personally am not at my best after eight o'clock at night because I'm just tired, and um, one of our daughters was not going to sleep. And, and they, like, they're they so talented at coming up for reasons for you not to like, walk out of the room and, and actually have them go to sleep. And um, one of my daughters, I can't remember what she said, but she needed one more thing. And I just turned around and I said, you're fine. And it was probably not even that nice. You're fine. And I walked out and I shut the door. And I'm like, and then Steph said later, like, hey, do you think that was, that was very good? <laughs> and I'm like, um, no, it wasn't. And then I felt guilty, and here's how guilty I felt. I went into her room. She was sleeping, and I kissed her, and I told her I'm sorry because I was, and I felt terrible. Because in all fairness, that, that was a sin. I did not love her like a four-year-old is meant to be loved, right? That is not something a four-year-old deserves, or a four-year-old deserves to be treated like. So what is that for you? What is that thing that lingers that weighs you down? And it's every week, isn't it? There's something almost constantly that you know you should have done, and you try to justify it. And you try to, you know, push it away and, and make it not your responsibility, but it leaves your heart heavy. And what we talked about in week one of this whole series called Holy Spirit is you want to be transformed. And I know that because you're here. And if you're here, chances are you're open to at least something new, if not trying to grow something that you already have, and that's your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Because you know the closer and closer you get to Him, the more and more you change. And it changes for the better. And we want to help you change. And that's one of the reasons we are doing this series called The Holy Spirit. Because if you want to see change in your life for the better, the Holy Spirit is who you want to get to know. Here's what I figured out making bacon, and here's what you and I have figured out going through life. You knew what you should have done, but then you didn't do it. Or you knew you could have done it better, but no matter what you did, you still fall short all the time, right? And you wish you could do it differently, but you can't. Or the circumstances are out of your control. Or some other people have made decisions that just make the situation really tough. And that's hard. And I'm sorry that's the situation that you've been in. But you come to terms eventually in life, sooner or later. Some people, it takes their entire life. Honestly, some people don't ever come to these terms. But you come to the realization that you can't do everything. And that you need help. You can't do everything and that you need help. And the thing that I took away from making bacon, and I'm sorry this analogy is like going to carry through this entire sermon, but the thing that I realized is I cannot prevent the grease from burning other than not making bacon. But there's nothing wrong with making bacon, as there's probably nothing wrong with a lot of the things that you do. It just gets off course along the way. And so I came to the realization that I can't do everything. I need help. And maybe some of you have realized this, but what I needed was fresh air. And the solution for us now in cooking bacon is we can make bacon, but we have to open the window and let some fresh air into the house. And what that fresh air does is it completely transforms the house that's smoke-filled into something that's new and fresh. And it's easier to breathe, and it's easier to see. You don't feel like you're inhaling, like, cancerous material every breath you take. And you have to invite it in because you need help. And my friends, for most of us, that is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like we know it's there. We may not have been taught a lot about it. That's what we've been trying to do in this series. But the thing is, it's outside of the window of our house, and we're not sure we want to let it in. But the Holy Spirit, when you do, does an incredible job of bringing life and newness to whatever it touches. We don't like admitting, though, especially Christians. We don't like admitting when we do something wrong, or we don't like admitting when you need help. But when you do, my friends, it is the point at which you need the Holy Spirit. Caitlin said last week, she said, Jesus can set you free, and Jesus will set you free, but the Holy Spirit keeps you free. It's that presence that walks with you every, it's his presence that walks with you every single day of your life. But unfortunately, what a lot of people think, and I remember as an agnostic, I thought about this about Christians all the time, is that what Christians do is they just wanna get to heaven. And so they wanna punch their get to heaven card. So they say they believe in Jesus. And it's more of like an end of life thing, not a going through life kind of thing. A lot of people use religion for the end of life. But what about the rest of life here on this earth? What did Jesus say as an answer to that? He said, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you an advocate. I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending you a helper to transform you so that your life isn't such a smoky mess, but a life of holiness. And holiness is a big, intimidating Christian word, but it's a life that reflects God. And it's a life, I'm just telling you, a holy life is one that has a lot less regrets and a lot less guilt and a lot less shame and a lot more freedom. Unfortunately, some of us are so comfortable with the life that we live, that we've created, or the number of distractions we have going on in our life or busyness we create in our life so we don't need to think about it. But we're so comfortable, we we don't think we need a comforter. But we do. We do. And I know you are all wonderful individuals in the room and online, but there is smoke in your life. And you've got to come to the point at which you realize you cannot handle all the smoke yourself. In fact, the world was not created. You were not created to handle all of that by yourself. It needs to be washed out. It needs to be made fresh. And the answer is whether you want to accept it today or not, that's completely up to you. I'm just going to tell you, It is the Holy Spirit. At the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we learn about the Holy Spirit. And here's how the biblical authors, especially in the Old Testament, well, old and new, actually, describe the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is probably a version, if you grew up in church, that you're familiar with. It's called the New International Version, NIV. Now, the, ter- the earth was formless and empty, empty, darkness was over the surface of the earth, uh, over the deep, excuse me, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, the Spirit of God, the, the Hebrew word for the Spirit is the word ruach, and you got to get the phlegm in there, ruach, okay? And that's what it is in Hebrew for all you re- Hebrew people, and by the way, you read this way to this way in Hebrew, not this way to this way, it's the other way around, uh, or for us, we're the wrong way and they're the right way, anyways. It's ruach, and was hovering over the waters. But see, this word, ruach, doesn't quite have the same meaning like it does in English. It's not just spirit. It's much more than that. It's wind. It's the movement of air. When the biblical authors documented the Holy Spirit, they used this word like air, or wind. And what's so interesting is the newer versions, the newer translations of the Bible capture this. If some of you have noticed over the last couple of months, I've actually switched versions. I used to use the NIV a lot. And now most of my preaching is exclusively in the N. I'm not trying to make this difficult. The NRSVUE. Okay. It's a new revised standard version, updated edition. And it's one of the most newest translations of the Bible, and one of the reasons I love it, for many reasons, is it tries to translate more genuinely, which sometimes makes it uncomfortable because we're not used to reading it this way. But it tries to generally translate it, um, given all of the information that we are learning about ancient cultures, especially ancient Israel culture. Um, and Greek culture, because we're still learning. And I don't know if you knew this, but then we can update this based on our learning, and we do. And one of the cool things uh, especially is it um, accounts for a number of instances where male names were used, and in reality, the original text has female names. Um, But we didn't like what the females were doing, and so for most of the church's history, like 1,700 years, we took those female names and we changed them and made them male names. I know, it's unbelievable that we would do such a thing, but we do. And so a lot of Bibles in the last 20 years have been making those adjustments back to the original, the first 300 years of the church, um, female names. anyway. so that's accounted for that Bible nerd thing. So going over to the NRBSU, what it says is, covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And this Ruach, the Spirit of God from God, not only is active here in Genesis 1, but is active about 400 times in the Old Testament. And the Spirit of God is there with Noah and the ark. The Spirit of God is there throughout the biblical story, working. And it comes upon people and it works through people, and it's absolutely incredible. But it is the wind, it's this. And one of the things that I took away when I started learning about this, when you think about the Holy Spirit as a breeze, a wind, air, it starts to make a bit more sense because when you take a deep breath, it gives you what? Life. It keeps you going. And the biblical authors said, hey, when you think about the Holy Spirit, think about breathing in and the life that it gives you and the strength that it gives you to move forward. And this breath and this life shows up. Um, it's literally called the breath of life in some cases in Genesis. It shows up in Numbers and Job and Isaiah. And you get more oxygen into your body. And when you do that, you begin to think more clearly. You begin to become more awake and empowered and energized. If you've ever been to the top, I was in Pike's Place, uh, pikes peak uh, in colorado and at the top in the gift shop they have an oxygen bar because you're what like twelve thousand feet up in the air and so people were like sucking on oxygen and i was sitting there thinking well that's kind of weird because it's bubbly and they got different colors and different scents and i'm like what's going on there well i realized now as a pilot you know because i I flew with this f-35 test pilot and he was like yeah if you're ever feeling tired or something on a long flight just go ahead and grab your oxygen mask and just start sucking on it and i'm like really and he is so right. It like wakes you up like that. It's Im- incredible. Like if ever you get tired on a flight, just you know pull your emergency mask down and stick it over your face and you'll start to wake up real quick, okay? <laughs> So yeah, just be aware that if that ever happens in a flight, know that you are well oxygenated, okay? But that is the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to come into your heart and your life and awaken and energize you. It's supposed to wash away that smoky room, wash away what's inside and give you life and draw you to goodness and that which is God. If you're just wanting Jesus to get out of hell, I guess you could do that but you're missing out on the rest of life. You're missing out on the peace and the goodness that comes through the Holy Spirit. And Paul knew this. Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, um, who killed lots of Christians, hated Christians, and then became a Christian, and what is the, one of the most prolific church Starter church planters that they ever lived. I mean, historians, Christian and not, agree that Paul was one of the most impactful individuals in the Roman Empire and throughout the Mediterranean Rim back when he lived. Like, his impacts carried even through to today. Incredible. And Paul considered himself absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he went to talk to people about it, he described it in a lot of different ways. One of the ways that we're going to talk about today is from his letter to the church in Galatia. We call it the letter to the Galatians or the book of Galatians. And in chapter five, he takes a second to talk about the Holy Spirit, which given everything we've talked about, I want to talk about now because of what the Holy Spirit does in your life. And I want to help you to recognize what the Holy Spirit or who the Holy Spirit is and how to sense the Holy Spirit's presence. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to live by the Spirit. Okay? Your end, the end of your life is taken care of. Jesus took care of that. Today, though, you are still alive on this, like, alive on this earth, and I want you to live a particular way. How I want you to live is by the Spirit. Like, There's a lot of ways to take this, but to me, it's like you're by someone. If they're right next to you and you live by them, you kind of go where they go. It's not that you don't get to have input or decide, not at all, you have ultimate choice. But if you wanna live by the spirit, you follow the spirit as the spirit moves as you go through life. And he said, here's how that looks. He said, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. What the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And there's always in Paul's writing this this, um, battle between God's things and the fleshly things. And the flesh are those things that you can't control. Those things that you think that you do that you know you shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have gotten that angry with my daughter. That was my flesh talking. And I am not proud of that part of me. I want less of that in my life. And personally, I want more of him. He says, what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For for these are opposed to one another to prevent you from doing what you want. They're like two ends of the same magnet pole trying to push against each other. They're not supposed to go together. And the Holy Spirit won't go with you to those fleshly places. He gives a list just in case you're wondering. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. I don't think this is an extensive list of all the things. It's just a fairly comprehensive one. It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery. I know some of you are big into that. Uh, Enmities, strife, jealousy. That was a joke. Anger, quarrel, dissension, factions. He keeps going. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not, not inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to live in a world with God, you won't get there through these means. And guess what? You kind of know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you that. I'm not trying to guilt or shame you. You just know that if you live a life like that, it is a very sad, hard road to walk, isn't it? Those are qualities that don't give life. Those are qualities that don't see clearly. They're smoky. They're muddy waters. They're chaos. And God does not, God is not in the chaos. He is above the chaos. And you should be Two, Paul's saying there is a battle to be waged between the sinful part of you that you cannot control and, and the thing, the spirit of you that is drawn to him and that should reside above it. I don't know about you. I just think of all the things in our world right now that fall into somewhere in this list. And a big one, we're in a political season. And I just tell you, one of the things that absolutely infuriates me And I think this is a righteous anger. I don't think this is a fleshly anger. It's just like a a pure righteous frustration. Um, And and that is the political climate that we have. And Christians centering themselves around political candidates. And they will say, these candidates are from God. And I look at a list like this. If we back up a slide especially. um, Anger, quarrels, dissension, and factions And you're telling me these things are of God? Well, I guess, how? (laughs) We center our hopes and our future on things that are not even of God. Just because they're there and because they made it to the top doesn't necessarily imply God has blessed that especially when they literally fall under the list that is opposed to God's spirit here on earth. Strife, factions, these are qualities that you should struggle with, we should struggle with. If there's a political candidate that you are like, yeah, and you're vocalizing that and all that, just be very wise and careful because other people are hearing you. And if they hear you say, I choose the flesh over the spirit, I hope you're okay with that. Because it will not lead to peace and joy and prosperity. It will lead to harm and a very muddy, smoky existence for others. So he goes on, gives this whole list. Sorry, just a little point of frustration for me. And then he says, let me give you the opposite. In contrast, here's the fruit of the Spirit. And some of you grew up and you know this. He said, the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the product. If the Spirit is present, here's what you should see. If, if you are a tree and the Spirit is in you, here's the type of things that should be borne out in your life. Here's the qualities, the behaviors, the thoughts, the words that should come out of you. Number one is love. I think this was intentional because Paul was always about the greatest of these is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it's a bunch of extensions of love, expressions of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what is of God. This is what is of the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but imagine if we had a world full of leaders, political leaders, that embodied this. Wow. It's like, I don't even know what that looks like. Have we ever had that? (laughs) Kindness, generosity, faithfulness. You know, we may not have leaders, but we have people. We have people, some of which are in this room and some of you watching online, that embody this. I was just thinking this morning as a church, in generosity, like in adding up all that we've given. Like if you take how much Infused Church and Tiffin spends in a year, we give away like a third of everything that comes in for our community, for international needs, for helping the poor and the youth of our communities. I mean, it's an absolutely incredible third of everything. I'm like, if this is a business, we are terrible. But the Spirit just leads our hearts to do something incredible. And if you have ever been a part of our Be Rich campaign, you know that feeling when you go above and beyond, when you give, where you have to kind of sacrifice, you have to say no to some things to say yes to helping others, You don't get to the end and say, gosh, that was terrible. Like you might think to yourself, that's going to make it hard. I am uncomfortable now. But I don't think you probably have ever regretted and said, God, I don't think that's going to do any good. Instead, you get life and, and you breathe that in and it feels amazing. These are the things of the Spirit. These are the things. If you ever wonder, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is in my life? We'll talk about that in a second. But it's because you feel this. When I came back to faith, I felt an immense sense of these first three. It was just constant for like a month. It was just absolutely incredible. The Holy Spirit in my life, it, it, it wouldn't go away. I first thought it was something in the bagels. Some of you have heard me say that before. I, I legit, I was like, maybe it was in the bagels. Maybe they put something as a church in the, like the coffee or something. And it wasn't. That amazing feeling continued for a month, and then I started to quench it, which is something you can do. You have ultimate power. The Spirit is just like air, and if you want to suffocate the Spirit, you can absolutely do that. And I I would propose to you that most Christians, we go through our lives, and we are like partially quenched. If you think about it like opening the window to let the smoke out and the fresh air in, we kind of just crack the window open of our hearts to let the Holy Spirit in, right? Right? Let's be honest. We don't, we can see it, we know it's there, but we would be more comfortable if it was just only a sliver open. It makes us uncomfortable to think that we'd open the windows of our heart to let what's outside come inside. But when you do and you feel that life, what you feel, and that gentle nudge, that gentle whisper that is the Holy Spirit in people's lives, and, and when they've worked over millennia when the Holy Spirit has worked in people's lives for thousands of years, it's like a gentle whisper. And it just nudges. And it nudges in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And let's be honest, we know when we are not having self-control. We know when we are walking contrary to this, But we don't have to because the Holy Spirit just wants to come in and dwell in here. Peter said um, to the church in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit just came. We just talked about this in week one of this series. And what did he say? He said, if you wanna receive the Holy Spirit, repent. And that's a really uncomfortable churchy word, but repent means to change directions. And that's essentially what it is. Hey, realizing I can't get the smoke out on my own, I'm going to have to go for help, and the only way is to bring in something I can't control, and that is fresh air from the outside. I'm going to choose a different direction. And he said, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. For so many of us, we go through life knowing something should be different. And I think we tell ourselves we're not sure what should be different or how we should change it, But I think most of us know it has something to do with our Heavenly Father. And for most of us, that's why we're here. Or for some of you, you were on fire for the Lord at some point in your life, but over time, you just started to walk away. In other words, you started to quench that gentle nudge of the Spirit in your life. And what I want to challenge you to do Because you always have control of the spigot that is the Holy Spirit. You can turn it all the way off if you want to. You can walk completely contrary. There is no risk to you. But for some of you, you need to start opening the windows of your heart and letting the Spirit in. Some of you, you're just operating with them fully locked. Some of you are operating with them partially open just so you kind of know. You feel that love sometimes. You feel that peace. If we're singing a nice song, you're like, oh yeah, I start to feel it. But then you go out in the world and you live not by the spirit, but you live by the world. And then you come back here and hey, that's a really nice song. I like that. Or Taylor said something motivating for a little while and so you drive home. But by the time you get home, you've turned that spigot off and you're not living by the, the spirit anymore. But the love of God wants To be in you. The the love of God wants you not to be a smoky mess, but to live a life of holiness and love. Some of you, it's very nice, somebody in in the church um, made a piece of of glass because I said, I really want to break some glass. Because so many of you, you are just sitting there and you're holding this up between you and your heavenly father, you and everything that he has promised you. And you can see it. You know, it's there because I tell you, but you keep something in between you and the spirit is so gentle and so kind, even though the spirit could break this down, he will wait for you to open it. Or for some of you, you need to get better and you need to break it. You need to break your heart open to what God wants to do in your life. Shatter it in a million pieces so you don't run the risk of shutting it on him again. Paul did not endure the suffering and beating that he he went through. He went through shipwrecks. He was attempted to be stoned to death. And what is Paul's response to all of that? The greatest of these is love. All the hardship that Paul went through, the guilt. Imagine the guilt that Paul felt. He had Christians killed. He took mothers and fathers away from their kids and threw them into prison because of the God that they worshiped. And he said, I am filled with love and joy and peace and patience from God because God is so merciful. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, but the Holy Spirit wants to come in your heart and bring freshness and life to you, not just in a service on a Sunday. He wants to bring it in your everyday. He wants to bring it into your relationships. He wants you to to walk with him and be with him. When you, like me, are saying goodnight to your kids, if you are with the Spirit and by the Spirit, there would be gentleness and self-control because at the core of it you have a peace that passes understanding that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. You just have to receive it. You have to not let something be a barrier between you and him. Don't just look at it like it's something pretty on the other side of glass in a zoo. Let it out and let it fill. Let him fill you. One of the ways in which we remember every uh, so often the gift that is the Holy Spirit is we take communion. And if, if you came in today, I hope you grab some communion. If not, I think Colleen will come around and, and you want to grab the communion elements. But I want to take communion with you um, because communion is very similar to what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Um, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of a gift. And it's the gift of God's love for us. And what happens... In the symbol, is we take it and we eat it. And when we eat something, it does what? It is digested and it becomes a part of us. So we remember that love and we let that love become a part of us. And my invitation, my challenge to you, is that today, not only would we remember the love of God as we take it through communion, But that you would, just like this bread becomes a part of you, you would let God's spirit, his presence, his love, his patience, his kindness come into your heart. Everyone is welcome to take communion. Um, On the top is the bread, um, which we'll take first. And then on the bottom, uh, if you lift the uh, second little um, cover there, uh, is uh, the symbol of the wine or the juice to take together. On the night which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and broke it, gave thanks, and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is a new agreement, a new covenant between you and I. that If you have faith in me and you love me, I will love you. And Jesus also said, It is better for me to go away because I am sending an advocate, a helper, a counselor to guide you and to love you through life. I'm taking care of your eternity. He will take care of you in the life that you have right now. And in that, he will take care of those you love through you. And he will take care of your relationships through you. And he will bring you a little slice of heaven every day right in here because you are a temple of God. And this agreement that I'm making with you comes with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So when you drink that, let that truth become a part of who you are. If you would, bow your head and pray with me Heavenly Father. Would you hear our prayer? Hear our prayer that each and every one of us, we cannot do it all on our own. We are not meant, you did not create us to live in a broken world such as we do and be okay. That we would give in to temptation, we would give in to suffering we would give in to pain. We would give in to the hurt and the harm that comes through the world around us. We would be filled with anger and lust and greed. We would be filled with judgment and and, and divisiveness. We would be filled with a desire to even hurt ourselves and one another. Lord, this world is hard. This life can be hard. And Lord, we need help. Some of us our first step is just saying, "Lord, we can't do it. We need help." So, Lord, help us. For some of us the next decision is deciding where our help's going to come from. Lord, help it help our decision to be you. Help our decision to to a decision to be made to trust you, to decide to follow your son, Jesus, to accept his love and his forgiveness, no matter where we've been or what we've done, help us to trust you. Lord, and if we've done that, we need to be baptized. But right now, what we can do next is we can breathe in the life-giving spirit that you have promised us. Lord, no matter where we are in our faith journey, help us to at the very least put it on a radar or today to make that decision to let that spirit, let that goodness, that warmth, that joy to fill our hearts and to lead us and to guide us. That we can walk away from our past and our shame and our guilt and we can walk forward knowing that not only is our eternity and death conquered, but that our life forward has the promise of peace and of patience and of joy as we step forward. Lord, help us to break the glass barrier that we put up, the windows that we close to keep the breath of life out of our lungs. Help us to break those down and welcome you in, Lord. Hear our prayer. Help us to take those steps, to make those decisions. If not today, then very soon. So we do not go another day without you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.